Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Ruth Pedersen's podcast from Brussels to Berlin. It's our regular exploration of German and EU politics to see how they interact. And uh, this time we're going to be looking at the newly formed German government, the so-called Ample or Traffic Light Coalition of the Red SPD, uh, the Green Greens um, and the Orange uh, Free Democrats, the Liberals. Uh, the first time those three parties have been in a governing coalition together at national level. Uh, and we're going to be focusing today on what this means for Germany's energy and climate policies and how that will affect the wider European uh, picture for energy and climate politics. My name is Simon Taylor. I'm Associate Director here in the uh, Ruth Pedersen Brussels office. And I'm lucky enough to be speaking to uh, Sumin Nant. Sumin, you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Of course, Simon. Thank you for having me. My name is Sumin Nam, and I am a Lead Energy Germany for Ruth Pedersen in the Berlin office. Great. Thanks a lot, Sumin. Um, so first of all, uh, a sort of simple question, really. Um, this is... It's not the first time the Greens have been in the German government. I had to look at the date. So they were last in a coalition with the SPD, the centre-left SPD, uh, until uh, 2005 when uh, Joschka Fischer was uh, foreign minister. But uh, it's obviously a long time since then, and it's uh, with the liberal, the pro-business, uh, free democrats. So uh, what do you think is going to be different? What, what difference will having the Greens uh, in, in the government make uh, on energy and climate policy, Sumin? Uh, it's a big question, Simon. So I think a lot has changed since their first government participation. Uh, I think the Green Party was really urging to be in government after what happened also in 2017 when um, them being part of uh, black and uh, like a Jamaica coalition was basically uh, taken away from them in the last minute. With, with the CDU, with the, with the conservative uh, CDU. Exactly. The, the Greens we have now in government, and that I think is the main differentiator also to the past, are way more pragmatic and moderate also in their personnel than what uh, we have seen in, in the last decades. Um, and we've also seen these big like wing fights between the left part of the party and a you know, more realistic, pragmatic part. And that has shifted strongly towards the latter. Um, so what we expect here also at Repairs in, in, in Berlin is that we will have a very a, a government with a green participation that is strongly focused on climate policies, but is able um, and willing uh, to compromise. If that is necessarily something that will, in the end, not lead to somewhat of a split within the party, is to be seen. But that's what we can see uh, starting off today. You mentioned a little bit about the personalities. Of course, all the focus on the election and the election campaign has been on Annalena Baerbock, who will be or is now taking over as uh, foreign minister. The other important figure in the government, arguably the more important one is uh, from the Greens, is Robert Habeck, who will be uh, deputy chancellor and heads what some people call a super ministry uh, responsible for economics and climate protection. Could you just give us your view, Sumin, on what difference you think that will make, and particularly as it's sort of pulling together different sort of parts of the economy 
into one ministry, uh, what the aims will be, what his aims will be, and what his chances of success are. Oh, of course, Simon. So this ministry is interesting because it was already considered a super ministry a couple of years ago when at that time SPD's Sigma Gabriel took the Ministry for, for Economic Affairs and included energy into it. And now basically we have an, even an extension of that with having ener not just energy, but climate policies getting into this ministry. What does, what does it mean? It means that the relevant departments of the Ministry for Environment, which are dealing with climate policies, are being basically integrated into, the, into Habeck's super, super ministry. <laughs> that is a big ministry, obviously. It has a lot of competences. It has significant budget when it comes to transformation of the industry, climate policies, subsidies and funding. It is uh, very, very loaded. It comes at a cost, though. So what is, for me at least, hard to understand is that the Greens have, were basically the founding fathers or strongly participated in setting up the Ministry for the Environment um, and, their, and its checks and balances role in the German system. So it always has been traditionally a ministry that has controlled the Ministry of Economic Affairs, the Ministry of uh, Traffic and Transportation, and of course also the Ministry for Agriculture. Um, and now they dismantle the main components in the most crucial time of this ministry and still take it then. So they, I mean, they, with Steffi Lemke, they have one of their people sitting in this house. And why they do that so, why they do so, is not necessarily clear to me until today. Also, and this is um, something that we just learned today because there was an organizational directive disclosed by after the coalition treaty was signed today, and we're recording on Wednesday, that also the Ministry for Environment's departments on international climate policy will be transitioned out to Annalena Baerbock's uh, Ministry for Foreign Affairs. So this is also basically the, the second part of the um, dismantling of, of this house. So it, there are ups and downs, uh, and there, there are pros and cons here. But to be very clear, um, we think that Habeck's super ministry is, of course, very impactful, but it has a lot of conflict within the same house as well. So you still have departments that are very pro-industry, pro-economy, um, and at the same time, you have the competencies for the energy transition, which, as we, look, as we look at the collision treaty, has to be ramped up massively. We've talked a little bit about people there um, and, and the ministry and the competences. What about the actual policies? So where, where, are the, where are the policies where this new government will really make a difference in them? Energy-wise or climate-wise, there's a lot in there. Um, and uh, when you look through... A lot of parties, a lot of industries, a lot of branches were very, very happy because the, the renewables targets are ex extensive. You have 80% uh, uh, renewables by 2030, which is a massive increase um, to what was planned previously. Um, you have significant offshore wind and solar targets. And um, you also have, and that I think is very much the signature of the liberals in there, 
you have a lot of technology open approaches to other um, renewable sources, bioenergy, uh, negative emissions, all of that is mentioned and will be evaluated in the next four years. And there is a transitionary role for gas, which has been long debated in Germany if that's going to take place or not, um, or if there will be an end date set similar as to coal and nuclear. It has not. Obviously, it will phase out until 2045 when we declare climate, neutral uh, climate neutrality, but that uh, is not yet set in this, in this uh, coalition agreement. So there's a lot in there to work on. And now um, what you see is that these very ambitious renewable targets, to mention first and foremost, also um, have to be achieved. And the implementation will be key, as always is. Um, and there are already some emerging discussions and problems that come out of that. 80% renewables and significant ramp up, for instance, in solar. Germany has already uh, seen that we don't have the skilled workers, the distributors, the installers to actually um, achieve um, such a significant increase to 200 gigawatts. That is something that we will have to be working on and that won't take four years. Therefore, rightly, Robert Harbeck today mentioned that uh, he will start the transition, but it won't be finished after, after four years. Is there much discussion in Germany? Uh, there's, there's, there's a topic that we see in the UK, uh, in France, which is about a, socially, uh, a social uh, transition, a socially just transition, about what do you do with the people that will lose their jobs in, in fossil fuel reliant industries? and reskilling them is I, I would expect that to be part of the german government discussion it, does that feature strongly it does one of the key components was also to reduce um, or to phase out coal quicker than initially agreed in the 2018 um, by the coal phase out committee so we have a coal phase out now ideally that's what the coalition statement uh, what the coalition agreement states until 2030 this has a massive impact for the regions, and we're talking about the region which is called the Rheinische Revier in western Germany and the Lausitz, which is, crosses over borders in the eastern German states. And, and these states have been promised very high compensation funds, structural support, the buildup of public uh, institutions, um, factories for battery cells, for instance. All of that um, has to now take place at least or quickest eight years earlier than initially planned. And so these regions and these states with their very vocal politicians also very, very clearly voiced that this has to, be, has to be undertaken very carefully and that they need time. In addition to answer your question, yes, a socially just energy transition is something that appears in the German debate quite often. Um, the energy prices and gas prices at the moment are on the peak. And of course, the discussion is how to relieve, relieve the burden, the financial burden from, from end consumers. And that's been a lot of a debate prior to the election with um, a one-off payment. Uh, the Greens also proposed. And of course, this is also very much discussed in the wake of everything that is um, related to gas prices and uh, fossil fuels for mobility sector. This is also where... A lot of discussion comes in what is socially just. Can we, um, can we impose higher CO2 prices on private mobility or um, is that too much?
So, so yes, so um, we haven't yet talked about uh, Germany's great or uh, in, in the sense in the sense of large uh, automotive industry. What, what what's going to happen to the German car industry, Simi? I mean, German car industry has fully committed to uh, electric vehicles, at least the vast majority. Uh, Volkswagen on the very f very front. Um, there is the biannual fair called IAA in Germany, International Automotive Fair. Um, and this year it was in Munich and it was under a very different, it used to be in Frankfurt, very big, very much fossil focused and basically a, a huge show of how uh, the car industry functions. This year it was moderate and very much focused on electric vehicles, maximum hybrid. So the, the industry is, is moving and it is moving in um, a very much in a battery direction. So the German car industry is adapting. Um, the question is just if the political framework and regulation will adapt as quickly as, as the industry can. The coalition agreement sets out a very ambitious target for e-vehicles um, to have them by the, on the street and it will be also much to all these car manufacturers and companies to translate that to consumers, raise their interest and demand um, to make that happen. It can't be political will alone. And um, has, the has the incoming government uh, brought forward the deadline for the phase out of combustion engines or anything like that? So they will stick to the EU regulation, which is uh, 2035. Um, there is no deviation from that. The only exception is that there is, the door is left a little open for e-fuels. After that, that is also very much a liberal position. So there is the possibility of e-fuels to be counted as carbon neutral. But yeah, uh, besides that, 2035 it is. So there's another topic that's uh, very popular, very much under discussion in Brussels at the moment, which is hydrogen. Where, where does the, and the role of hydrogen, green and particular, particularly blue hydrogen to green hydrogen, i.e. hydrogen that comes from completely renewable uh, sources and production methods, is, is, where does the new government stand on hydrogen? That's what's going to be interesting to see. So there is a hydrogen strategy in Germany, which will be revisited. And that's where you will actually see the government stands on it. Germany, in general, stands more on the green hydrogen side. Um, that is the target. That is um, the way you want to go to decarbonize industry, um, heavy transport, aviation, etc. But the blue hydrogen debate is very much tied to two things. On the one hand, of course, the role of gas that has been at least now for a transitionary period being prolonged. And secondly, um, carbon capture as a technology. This technology in Germany is um, viewed critically in the past, just because um, underground storage has been, uh, there have been some, some bad experiences. It has also to do with the fracking debate in Germany, as well as the nuclear waste debate. Um, so that, um, that all ties in. However, it will be seen, um, all G German big think tanks also uh, commissioned by the government see a role for blue hydrogen. And I think that will be, especially when it comes to the protected pro demand we will have very soon for, for, for hydrogen, um, I think that uh, a, lot of, a lot of experts are very, very clear that this will, won't be achievable without blue hydrogen in the system. Okay. Now, you talked a little bit before about divisions within the House, within the super ministry for economics and climate protection. 
But that's not the only potential source of opposition and division within this government, because, of course, we have the business-friendly Liberals and Christian Lindner, uh, head of the FDP, as finance minister. And, uh, you know, just to sort of, uh, carry, you know, over-characterise it or to simplify things, uh, you know, the, the, the Liberals have a pro-market, pro-business approach. Who's going who's gonna to win those battles? And of course, uh, the finance minister sets taxation rates and also, well, I, I was going to say controls debt levels, although that's obviously very much hemmed in by the, uh, by the debt break. How do you see the, 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 the dynamics when the tensions within the coalition playing out there, Sumin? That's a, it's an interesting question. So when it, when it comes to climate policies, we all agree that this will cost a lot. Um, and the question is just how to reduce costs or keep these in check. And it would be, I believe, a battle of ideas. And these ideas are very much on the liberal side being very market liberal and having, you know, favoring the ETS as the overarching mechanism to be where everything should be included because this then would have the most highest effect with the least costs entailed. Whereas the Greens very much work also with incremental um, order liberal policies. Um, and this is something that is fundamentally different. In the end, it will be a mix. And that uh, can be, it's politically sound probably, but not necessarily always very uh, efficient. But we will have, see a mix of um, a lot of sectors being integrated at some point in the ETS. We are already looking and the EU is already looking at the mobility and heating sector, which we in Germany obviously have an own um, emission trading system for. and But there still will be um, bits and parts that will be regulated very strictly, and that will have a green signature, we believe so. Now, there's a, a figure that um, the people from Brussels will know very well uh, in the form of Mr. Sven Giegold, who's a, a very prominent uh, German Green MEP, and was a leading light on the uh, Economics and Finance uh, Committee of the European Parliament, particularly active on uh, bankers' bonuses and sort of reining in the excesses uh, of um, financial markets. He's going to be, I think, uh, a, one of the state secretaries in the new super ministry. Is that right, Sumin? That's very correct. Actually, interesting, Simon, because Sven Giegold is a financial expert, and so is the, another state secretary, um, who is Philip. And um, both of them are very much um, experts on economic policy, finance policy. And that's interesting because running up to the election, there was a big fight between Christian Lindner from the Liberals and Robert Habeck, who will be taking the finance ministry. Lindner prevailed and is now, um, as of today, the fin uh, finance minister. And it's somewhat to see that Habeck then went into his super ministry and said, but I will basically be a climate finance ministry here and I will have the personnel for it. So he stacked up respectively. So yes, but Sven Giegold will be, um, will be a crucial part uh, of the new administration. Just some other interesting appointments today. I, we're coming to the end of this podcast, so I think we'll, we'll come back and revisit them in future. But um, it's interesting to see that Jörg uh, Kukies, uh, who was Deputy Finance Minister uh, under Schultz in the Finance Ministry, will go with his boss uh, to the Chancellery uh, to be uh, his economics advisor, which is not surprising. It's something that I think the EU in Berlin had uh, said was likely. But he's also going to take on the dual role of responsibility for uh, EU affairs. 
And um, th th that's very interesting because um, Kukies is seen in Brussels as um, really one of the architects of the recovery plan and the 750 billion euro recovery plan, uh, which sort of see, was seen as a departure from Germany's traditional opposition to uh, uh, you know, mutual debt financing. Um, you could argue over the definition, but it, it was very much seen as a step change. So I think his appointment uh, will be seen very positively uh, in the commission in Brussels, but equally, if not more importantly, uh, in Paris. And I understand Schultz's first uh, state visit will be to Paris, closely followed by Warsaw, is that correct? Very interesting. But I think we'll we'll come back to that and we'll also look uh, in, a, in one of the next podcasts at the uh, impact of the Greens on foreign policy, in particular what that means for uh, relations with China, Russia, Belarus, all very live topics at the moment. Let's hope we're not overtaken by events. Sumin, thank you very much for your very insightful um, thoughts and opinions today. Uh, great talking to you. Great to have that perspective from on the ground, uh, from you and your colleagues there in Berlin. I'd like to thank all our listeners for listening to this latest episode of the Rupedison podcast from Brussels to Berlin and look forward to uh, speaking to you next time. Thank you, Simon. Speak soon.